Welcome, everyone, to our Sunday program. We've just finished a loving-kindness weekend retreat. And we do these retreats now, I think, four times a year, minimally, and also we do a week-long retreat on loving-kindness each year. About 25 years ago, I introduced loving-kindness practice to Zen Community of Oregon. I was concerned that Zen practice, as we understood it, overemphasized the wisdom side, the more objective, cooler side of practice and working with our mind. I felt we needed a more personal, a more warm, balancing practice as a physician, I have seen that healthcare professionals need that balance. Of course, wisdom is needed to face a diagnosis of cancer in a patient without any confusion or denial on the part of the physician, but with clarity and objectivity about what has been revealed from the tests and the exams. But people are not machines. It's not like fixing a broken washing machine. There was a survey of patients asking about their fears. And their top worries were depersonalization, a fear of depersonalization as they entered the medical system, and also loss of control. Loss of control we can put aside because the longer we practice, the more we realize that we aren't in control of ourselves, our own minds, let alone other people's minds. Um, And we're not in control of impermanence. But this top worry of depersonalization is very important. People need emotional support. They need a warm human being to say, I know this is a difficult diagnosis, but no matter what happens, I'll be walking this journey with you. So I've been doing loving kindness practice for about 25 years. It's not a practice that you can do for one hour or one weekend or one week or one year and say, okay, Check, I've got loving kindness down now. What's next? The question that sometimes arises is, is loving kindness innate to human beings? Like most things, it's a combination of factors, a combination of nature. Oh, what a sweet little baby. She looks so adorable when she's Sleeping, I could just cover her in kisses and nurture. Last night she cried for hours and I'm so sleep deprived, I felt like throwing her out the window. But I just rocked her and I cried with her. I don't know what was bothering her. This morning she's happy again and I'm a complete wreck. When she takes a nap, I'll take one too. So, 
we have an innate love of cute little baby beings, whether they're kittens or puppies or baby chicks or baby humans. But we also have to practice. We have to nurture them and ourselves. Nature and nurture, a child raised by kind parents is more likely to be kind. I was with one of our young grandchildren when he saw a donkey and his voice went very soft and he said, oh, you just feel his heart in that, oh, can I pet him? And I saw him care very tenderly for a rooster and a chicken whose feet were burned in the fires in southern Oregon. Clearly, he was taught by his parents because I heard them say, be gentle now. Be gentle, he's hurting. At the same time, I've watched his face when he's scolded. And you can see his, the bright light, light that shines from this child dim. And I've seen it rekindle when he gets a hug at the end of the reprimand. In loving kindness practice, we have to bring these observations first to our treatment of ourselves. This is why we also do so many retreats on the inner critic, that inner scolding and reprimanding voice that can dim our inner light and prevent it from shining out and rob our life of its potential for happiness and for helping others. I was really struck uh, working with healthcare professionals uh, recently because in the midst of all of the difficulties, the COVID pandemic, the um, climate crisis and the political upheaval that we've experienced in the last few months. A lot of them were feeling so discouraged by the end of the day and discouraged not only about the world situation, but also about their own value in life. And you know, from, from the outside, anybody could look at a healthcare professional and say, well, of course, they, their life has value. Look, they've dedicated their life to helping others, but when depression attacks, when the inner critic attacks, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It's a force you have to work with, and it can be a very destructive force. There's research that shows the benefits of loving-kindness practice. There's a study from Duke showing that loving-kindness practice, if sustained, can help us with both physical and emotional pain. They found significant improvements in pain. These were people who had low back pain. And psychological distress in the group that practiced loving-kindness for eight weeks. But no changes in the control group. They found that the more loving kindness practice on a given day, and on average people spend about 20 minutes a day doing the practice, that the more loving kindness practice they did on a given day was related to lower pain that day. 
and lower anger the next day. The longer they spend, the greater the decrease in their pain, physical pain, and the lower their anger level, emotional pain, the next day. Lower anger the next day. Isn't that interesting? It shows that the benefits of loving-kindness practice, even if we are doing it just for ourselves in our own physical pain, can extend out and affect those around us because it also changes our emotional pain, our emotional reactivity. I was watching a talk by um, Ajahn Amaro, one of our dear Dharma friends, now in England. And he was talking about working with the mind. And someone had given him a question about, oh, so if I, if we practice for so many years with a certain practice, can we then just rest on our laurels and move on? And he said, it's like any skill. If you don't practice it, it becomes covered over. So you can apply this to loving kindness practice. He was talking about the paramitas, um, of which loving kindness is part. It's like any skill. If you don't practice it, it becomes covered over, encrusted in layers of laziness, self-view, or complacency. One of the most important things about spiritual practice is to sustain the motivation. The basic law of impermanence is that all compounded things will fade away, including basic feelings of kindness. Like all things, if it's not nurtured and sustained, it will arise, exist for a while, and fade away. So isn't that interesting? We have a feeling that loving kindness, once nurtured, will continue forever. But he says, no, it's a compounded thing. It's a conditioned thing. He adds, notice what it's like to be kind and not angry. To be kind and not angry is what I've put in from the study. Notice what it's like to be kind and not angry. And then you don't have to be persuaded to keep up the practice. You can feel it for yourself. I always compare doing early morning practice, as I do the four foundations, with brushing your teeth. You know, if you stop brushing your teeth, you realize why you're brushing your teeth, because they get all fuzzy and your breath gets bad, and it's very unpleasant. And the same about discontinuing our practice. You can feel it for yourself, what happens. We can get lessons about persistence from people who have had to keep going, to keep on being kind, despite a lifetime of oppression and disappointment. So last night on Saturday Night Live, which I didn't watch, but I saw, I get a news feed and from the New York Times and from HuffPost, and this was mentioned because it was so striking. So the host last night on Saturday Night Live was uh, David Chappelle, um, who's an African-American comedian. And usually his style is uh, pretty rough. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen him before, but that's what I'm told. It's pretty rough. But he spoke seriously last night at the end of his monologue, and he said, 
talking about how distressed people had been recently, he said, I know how that feels. I promise you, I know how that feels. He indicated that he hoped to be part of the solution. He announced uh, his new plan, the kindness conspiracy. It's random acts of kindness for black people, he explained, laying out the ground rules. You gotta make sure they don't deserve it. The same way all them years they did terrible things to black people just because they're black and didn't deserve it. So random acts of kindness for people that we think don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. This is from the news article. Even if they don't take part in the kindness conspiracy, Chappelle's ultimate recommendation is that people, particularly white people, find more constructive ways to work through their private frustration and anguish than hating others in public, which we have seen so much of in the last months and years. He says, everyone knows how that feels. But here's the difference between me and you. You guys hate each other for that. And I don't hate anybody. I just hate that feeling. That's what I fight through. That's what I suggest you fight through. You've got to find a way to live your life. You've got to find a way to forgive each other. You've got to find a way to find joy in your existence in spite of that feeling. I thought that was really touching from someone who knows that feeling of anger and frustration directed towards him and also building within himself. I really like that line. I don't hate anybody, I just hate that feeling. That's what I fight through. That's what I suggest you fight through. So, you know, anger begins with a seed, a seed of aversion. And those seeds we're born with. And if they're cultivated, they will flourish. We have to apply an antidote to those seeds of hatred and anger through our practice. And it starts with ourselves. If we dislike and criticize ourselves internally, what then spreads from this center? This center of dislike, of aversion outward. I practice loving kindness every morning, getting up so early my body and mind are not yet in sync and I kind of stumble around getting dressed. But more importantly, if I bring my attention to my heart when I come to the Zendo, I find that it's not yet open. So I do loving kindness practice every morning. May I be free from whatever. May I be at ease, may I be open-hearted, may I be kind. Then I open to everyone in the Zendo, connecting my heart to theirs. I don't have to do any phrases, actually. At that point, I just connect. And instantly, I feel their vulnerability, their struggles, and my heart warms and unfolds. And then I expand it out further. 
Here's an exercise that I discovered a few years ago. I call it looking with the eyes of the heart. Some of you have done it before. So uh, start by looking at, a, at something in your line of sight. So look at a physical object. It could be a cushion. It could be a clock. I'm going to pick this clock here. So first, um, look at that object with the eyes of your mind. So what does your mind notice or say about this object? How does your mind evaluate this object? Now switch and look at it with the eyes of your heart. So shift your perception down to wherever you feel your heart is. And open your heart's awareness to this object and notice what it perceives or how it reacts to this object. Okay, now I want you to do that with the part of your body. So hold up your hand in front of you. And first, look at it with the eyes of your mind. How does your mind evaluate this object we call a hand? What does it notice about this hand? You can move the hand and turn it around. But what does your mind notice? How does it evaluate this object we call a hand? Okay, now I want you to shift your awareness from your wherever you feel your mind is down to wherever you feel your heart is and open your heart. Maybe soften your gaze a little bit and look at this object with the eyes of your heart. How does your heart see it? This thing we call my hand. Okay. Did you discover any differences? You can just say what you saw and then I'll repeat it. We don't need to pass around a microphone. Any differences? In your hand, in particular? So, Sheen, I see you looking at your hand. Yeah, yeah I see that it's with my heart. Is something that takes care of you. Mm-hmm. With your heart, you see something that takes care of you. Mm. And with your mind, what did you notice? Just objectively, the thickness, the line. Mm-hmm. The structure, the pinkness, and the lines. So the mind does this kind of objective evaluation, right? Um, almost like an engineer. <laughs> yeah. And then the heart sees it's caring for you and others, too. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Any difference? Terencio. 
So when you look at it with your mind, you see your fingers typing on a computer. Your five fingers uh, typing on the computer. But when you look at it with your heart, you see your mother. And this used to be part of your mother and grew from your mother. Thank you. I love to use hands. Because the difference is pretty obvious with hands. It's not so obvious with an object, but you can do it with different objects. Margaret, I see you nodding. Um, it was very interesting when I was looking with my mind. It felt like I was looking at something. I know it was my hand, but it seemed like an object. And when I switched to looking with my heart, I suddenly was aware of feeling my hand. And it felt like a, a, converse, a, con- a connected and inclusive conversation. Hmm. So with your mind, it was an object. It is kind of a strange object, isn't it, when you look at it that way, objectively. It's got these things sticking out like tentacles or something. I don't know. It's weird. Um, But then when you looked at it with your heart, you felt that connection to it. So this is what people usually notice, the difference. And that helps us understand the difference between wisdom and compassion or wisdom and loving kindness. They're different and they have to be practiced differently and they complement and balance each other. Both are true, right? Both are true. It's this amazing mechanical object and it helps us do these things all day long, but it's also, it's, it's held us and supported us and bathed us and combed our hair and brushed our teeth and it's, it's, um, been so so kind and helpful to us and to other people. People who have children often see themselves holding their baby with their hands, you know, holding it, comforting their baby. Yeah, thank you. Here's another exercise that's become a favorite among the healthcare workers that I work with who are feeling burned out and drained of compassion and wondering if their life has any worth. So I'm going to do that with you for a few minutes too. It's called Eye of an Eagle or Eye of a Guardian Angel or Eye of God. So this is a visualization, it's not a meditation as such. So first, If you would um, lower your eyes or close them, whichever is most comfortable, and become aware of your breath, wherever it's most vivid in your body. Then expand your awareness to include your entire body as it sits and breathes. like a cocoon of awareness wrapped around your body. 
Now expand that field of awareness to include the room that you're sitting in, the floor, the ceiling, the walls, any windows, furniture in the room, other people in the room. Expand to include the entire room as well as this person who has a body that sits and breathes. Now, imagine that as this body sits here and breathes, that you can float up and through the ceiling of the room and float up high in the sky. Up into the heavens and you can look down from on high. You can see everything that's happening far below you, seeing with the eyes of an eagle or the eyes of a guardian angel or spirit or with the eyes of God. You can look down and see this building where you're sitting and whatever surrounds it. And you can also see this little person sitting there, this person that has your name. Now imagine that you can see this person going about their daily routine, waking up, getting ready for the day. going to work, relaxing with family, with patients, with staff, with students, all the people you come in contact with. You're watching them from way up high, watching this person who has your name, living their daily life, waking, eating, working, interacting with other people, taking walks, going home, sleeping, going to the grocery store, talking, Zoom meetings, whatever their life involves. And you see them moving through times of joy and times of challenge. You see difficulties arise in their life and you see how they work through them. As you watch them from way up in the heavens, how do you feel about this person? If you could whisper a few words of encouragement in their ear, what would you say to them? This little busy person, what would you say to them to encourage them as they go forward in life?
And if you could give them one non-material gift to help them through their life, one non-material gift to help them through the rest of their life, what would you give them? And now you descend from the heavens, down, 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 down through the roof of the building you're sitting in, and your awareness is back now in your body, this body that sits and breathes, whatever supports it, a chair, the floor. And then when you're ready, if your eyes are closed or lowered, you can open them. So when you look down at this person with your name going about their busy life, how did you feel about them? Anyone? My compassion for him. You had compassion for him? Yeah. Hmm. You had compassion for his desire not to get out of bed in the morning. Uh huh. Pity. Pity. Uh-huh. Can you say more? He's trying his best. He's trying his best. Mm-hmm. Always. Always. Trying our best. Hmm? Anyone else? about words of encouragement. What did you find yourself saying to this little busy person? I said relax. Relax and be kind. Relax and be kind. Mm Pretty basic instructions for self-care and other care. Relax. And do you know why relax? Because I could see that the little person was fretting. Fretting. (laughs) Unnecessarily. You could see the little person was fretting. Uh Unnecessarily. Yes. Isn't it interesting? It just takes a small step outside of ourselves to see that. Yeah. Relax and be kind. Anyone else? Words of encouragement or advice that you gave to this little person with your name? I said it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's hard to remember when things aren't going the way we'd hoped, right? (laughs) Very hard to remember. It's all going to work out. Yeah, I think especially during this election process, it was hard for people to maintain that attitude. They felt things weren't going the way they'd hoped. But I met some people who did. I just said, it will all work out. 
And how about non-material gift? Anybody? Love. Mm-hmm. Love. So right there is the heart of loving-kindness practice. We start with loving-kindness practice for ourselves. And then, only then are we able to give it to others. So to love this little person who is so busy and so earnest trying so hard to live a good life and to do good in the world. That's what you can see from up high. Mm-hmm. When we step out of this mind-body-heart complex, it so gets so tangled up and our vision gets obscured. Anybody else? What non-material gift? Rachel, you haven't spoken. Words of encouragement or non-material gift. So I felt neutral and curious towards her. The words of encouragement were that you are perfect right in this moment and that means everyone else's as well. And the gift was new men fire with the energy warmth. You're the motivating force to keep going. Uh-huh. So you felt curious and interested in this person, mm-hmm. and you felt very <clears throat> warm <clears throat> and um, about her. You, know? you felt very warm uh, towards her. Kind of neutral and curious. Neutral and curious. Yeah, not aversion or particularly love. Uh And what you saw about her was. And what? And what you saw about her when you and your encouraging words were you're fine as you are perfect as you are you're perfect as you are boy if we could even hear that message four times a day wouldn't that be great and believe it and then the gift was inner fire like the determination to go forward the fuel yeah fuel thank you one more person who hasn't, yeah, Koshal. I had an interesting moment that had a little bit of a Christian flavor where my encouraging words were, um, I will always be here watching over you, kind of uh-huh. feeling, which is interesting to think about as two different parts of myself. Yes, yes, so the, she said that, that the encouraging words had a little bit of a Christian flavor, I will always be here watching over you, um, but she realized that it's two parts of herself. Yeah. Yeah, we, we externalize things often, and that's why it helps to externalize and go up and then see ourselves from that, that point of view. But really, these are aspects of ourselves that can be cultivated. That's exactly why we do loving-kindness practice, to cultivate these parts that really care for us and will be with us forever for our whole life and want us to do our best and can tell us we are doing our best moment by moment. But it can also encourage us to move, move and change and transform in beneficial ways. So both are held simultaneously 
Everything is fine as it is. You are perfect as you are. Everything will work out. And we know that we can change in a direction that will be more beneficial for us and others. And that's why we practice. So thank you for uh, doing this practice, these two practices. Usually I just do one at a time, but I thought today I would just cram it all in because the need seems to be high right now. So I encourage us all to become part of a kindness conspiracy, to do random acts of kindness, including stealth loving kindness. It's a nice thing about loving kindness practice. It's kind of a stealth practice. But always begin with yourself so the source is well supported, so that you are full, so that you find joy in your existence, And then loving-kindness practice becomes an overflowing of that joy. Thank you.